Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to the Performance Anxiety Podcast, proud part of the Pantheon Podcast family of shows. I'm your host, Mark, and today we welcome Charlie Jones to the podcast. You probably recognize him as Robert Plant's bassist, but there's a lot more to him. He went from playing bass in a pop band to session work with people like Ofra Haza to touring with Robert Plant while on the work enterprise scheme all in just a handful of years. After playing and writing music with Robert Plant and Jimmy Page, Charlie wanted to change things up, so he started playing with Goldfrapp. He's also produced music for artists like Susie Sue, and he's released his own album called Love Form. He's currently writing new music, and he hopes to release it soon. Charlie is one of the most down-to-earth people to ever grace this podcast. Look for him on social media, and follow us too at Performance A&X. And consider buying us a coffee on coffee.com slash performance anxiety. That's ko-fi.com. And without further ado, here's Charlie Jones on performance anxiety. Okay. My name's Charlie Jones. I'm a bass player. I'm currently sat in my studio uh, writing some new tunes. I play for golf rap, amongst other things. And um, I'm on Performance Anxiety with Mark Shear. And... I'm close, it's Shay. Oh! <laughs> Dang, man. I said Shear. Yeah, I know. Okay. That, hey, Let that's, me go again. I had somebody call me Mark Shapiro on one... No! Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to be called that. No. <laughs> okay, let me, do, let me go again. You got it. Okay. I'm Charlie Jones, I'm a bass player, and I listen to Performance Anxiety with Mark Shea, and um, that's about it. Talking from the West Country in England. That's all right. I mean, I'm not the greatest myself, so it's, that's... I don't believe that. I don't believe that. You're talking to somebody who can't even cut and paste. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm serious. I'm serious, man. <laughs> oh, man. Well, hey... Give me a call anytime you need help cutting and pasting, because I can do that. Oh, well, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I will do that. Well, Charlie, thank you so much for joining me. This is so. This is really cool. I really do appreciate you coming on this evening. Uh, it's not my. It's not my thing normally, to be honest. I gathered that because I, I was trying to find. Um, you won't find any interview. You'll probably find something from when I was twenty-four, looking like a 
<laughs> with big hair, you know. Yeah. That and I found um, uh, one thing I was going to ask you about. Actually, um, did you ever end up selling your Geisha Girl base? I did to Geddy Lee. Oh wow! Yeah, that's amazing for his base book. Yeah, it's in his base book actually. That's amazing. It, it was amazing. I mean, he he still knocked me down on the price though. <laughs> But, you know, I, funny enough, I met him years before then in Morocco. I was in, traveling through Morocco and I met him briefly when I was with Robert in Morocco. Yeah. Oh, but anyway, wow. he was he was a cool guy. But yeah, he bought it. So and it's in his book and he, he does check, name check me. So I, I, which was a surprise. But there you go. Ooh, that's awesome. So I, the first thing I always want to know is how did you my guests get into music in the first place? Uh, what was, uh, you know, what was a house like growing up? Were you, was you, your family musical? And, and uh, what got you started playing music? Well, when I was really young, uh, the, you know, I don't really come from a musical household. Uh, my father loved music and used to listen to a lot of music, but mainly classical and jazz, to be fair. Okay. Because, you know, when he was growing up, he, he was into... Jazz was the cool thing he was into. He was he never really got into the... It was a little bit before uh, the 60s, the pop boom, you know. So he right. was into the jazz, modern jazz quartet, and West Coast-type jazz, and, and classical music. So that that's, that's what was around me, really. But, but it wasn't really a musical family, but I was really hooked on playing music from a very, very young age, you know, from sort of three or four. I was standing in front of the mirror pretending I was playing a, <laughs> an instrument you know <laughs> yeah and then I the whole glam thing yeah and the whole glam thing in the 70s really uh, hooked me along really oh well, okay. I was very, very into Bolin and oh and I, yeah yeah all that stuff and early Bowie and and then I was into all the soul stuff like stylistics all the Philly soul I loved all that oh cool okay yeah, yeah. oh Philly soul is fantastic yeah, that is, and I'm a huge bowling fan. I, I love T Rex and, and Zip Gun, yeah. and stuff. that's that's just amazing stuff. Amazing. I was in his fan club actually. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So, it was, it was, so was, was bass the first instrument that you played, or was there something else that got you into into playing music? No bass. I mean, I, I, I uh, when I was really young, you know five or six I had a little acoustic guitar that I used to self-tune and strum oh but boy I got into I got into bass when I was about 30 you know I got my first bass when I was about 12 or 13 I think it was but I didn't know it was a bass you know oh I was, really I was, no I was doing a paper round and someone told me about somebody selling an electric guitar so I saved up the money when, when I bought it and, and I thought this is weird, you know. It's had these fat strings with foam underneath the bridge, and yeah. I, I still didn't. I was too dumb to work out it was a bass. And then I saw my friend, who was a quite accomplished guitarist, he went, "Well, that's a bass, so I guess you're a bass player." I went, "Okay, that'll do." Yeah. <laughs> that was, you know. And that's the start of it. Oh my gosh, that's yeah. Everything's everything that comes to me comes by the abstract you know really <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. For, for, for real for real all, all by the abstract okay so then you got to tell me how you got started playing with bands because uh i did see the first thing that you recorded was 
the band Violent Blue, but was that your first band or were there? No, that? no, that wasn't my first, but that was the first band I had a deal with. I had a band before that with a terrible, you know, you know, when you're young, you have bands with terrible names, you oh, know, yeah. I had bands with terrible names, but the first band I was in really, and I, which, well, we had a record deal when I was about 16 and that was a band called Recorded Delivery. And actually that song, you can find on iTunes. Really? Yeah, man. Oh, I'm going to have to look that up because I didn't know that. I'm, I'm, yes, yes. Right, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually, believe me, I cannot sing, but I'm actually singing on it. Oh, God knows. I must have really had a lot of self-belief. <laughs> um. I was delusional, you know. <laughs> Youth. Oh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I'll yeah. tell you what, that's still not worse. I, I was in a band. Well, I was in one band because I'm a very bad self-taught guitar player. And I was in one band, and our name was worse than yours. So. Well, what, 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 what was it? Super Karate Monkey Death Car. That's a cool name. Yeah. <laughs> That's a cool name. What are you talking about? That's a cool name, you know? I mean, you know, our, our band was called Record Delivery because we could get free stickers from the post office to stick everywhere. Oh, my gosh. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> my stickers would have been a very, very expensive. With Yeah, but that's eclectic, you know? I mean, I wasn't eclectic. I was just... I was like just dumb and wanted to be... A, at that point, wanted to be a sort of pop star, which was completely deranged really so how did you get into violent blue then and and well that well that that, that band was just a, a, a so after that band recorded delivery a little later on i started se- actually quite young i started sessioning and because I, I picked up the bass pretty good and I, I started i got a double bass after i got back of the bass and i started oh, playing cool. that yeah so i was playing I never played guitar, so it was double bass and electric bass. So I started doing sessions and things. I saw this great guitarist, a guy called Neil Taylor, and he he ended up being a very successful session player also. Okay. But anyway, I got into a band with him, and um, he was due to go on tour playing sessions with Tears for Fears. Oh, wow. And he said to me, if you don't have a record deal for this band, by the time I get back, I'm going to be just sessioning so I managed to get a deal oh my god yeah I managed to get a deal but I was lucky I met a, a guy in a, who worked for a label who was a great guy and was very sympathetic <laughs> wow but you're also uh, yeah, obviously a talented musician at that point because in my band you know I was in I don't know early 20s if uh, one of my bandmates said you know, I'm going away for a few months, and when I come back, you guys don't have a record deal. It's done. It would have just been done. <laughs> there was no way. Yeah, man. But, you know, there's an argument. If I don't find that record deal, in some ways, some things may have been a lot better in my life. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, quite possibly. You know, I mean, it's just... But it, we got the deal, and um, that band survived for a while. We did an album, and... Um, 
Yeah, you know, so but basically, yeah, I had managed to somehow have releases and be signed pretty much bef- between 16 and 22. I was busy, you know. You, so you were saying you were doing a lot of session work at that point. Uh, who, yeah. What kind of sessions were you doing? Because I'm looking at I'm seeing Violent Blue stuff, but I'm not seeing a whole lot of info uh, no. when I do my research on the sessions that you played. Yeah, correct. Well, most of the stuff I did was for local bands and in studios and okay i played a home you know one of the first sessions i did i played a harmonica on a, a, a for, on a fergal sharky record oh wow uh, he, yeah he was a singer in the undertones no credit for that so uh, not that it's mattered you don't expect it i mean you just uh, i got paid 30 quid or something but no, yeah. most of the sessions most of the sessions i did were um you know local bands I got a job in a studio where I was meant to be tape hopping but I ended up playing bass with people bits and pieces you know okay. outside outside I mean mainly it's always been the way that I've had one main project I've been involved with and then outside that I've been working for other people playing bass you know and yeah. and occasionally producing stuff or arranging you know but I'm a bass player fundamentally, you know, that's, that's fundamentally what created my livelihood, I guess. But it's no career. I wouldn't call it a career. There's, <laughs> no, there's no such thing as a career. It's not a career. You know, career is not, it's a journey really to be sure. Oh, I, I don't mean to sound pretentious, but it's not a career. It's, but, it's a journey. Well, you know? yeah, that, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, you, career, careers are things that sort of go, from from A to Z with a natural line, but if you try and follow your artistic nature, it's up and down and in and out, and it's not always good. It's you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. That makes a lot of sense. All right, so let's. I listened to as much as I could find of Violent Blue. <laughs> well, it's not much. I think there's two tracks, and then like an extended dance mix of one of those tracks. I haven't heard that. I've got one oh, man. at home on the shelf. Someone there's one forty-five single with a pitch, a, oh. a sort of a picture where we look like something out of a pre-Raphaelite painting. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> you know, that's I know it. that one you're talking about. Yes, man, I, I tell you, I, I I got a look on the go there. I, I quite like that look, you know. But <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know, I'll, I'll let I'll tell you about this. This is a really cool website, and if the listeners don't know. This is a great website. It's called discogs.com. Right, right. com, And on that website, they have the whole track listing for the Violent Blue album. Really? Yes. In, in fact, oh, okay, man. while while we're uh, talking, I'll, I'll see if I can pull well, it up. We've got to make sure this is the same band because I, I can't believe that. Okay, I will. While we're talking, I will I will I'll, I'll pull that up, but let me uh let me do that real fast. Okay, so how long were you playing with Violent Blue? Did you did you end up doing a lot of of uh, touring? Was it more local? 
No, you know, it was back in the time when labels had lots of money and they would sign bands. And in the lottery of all the bands they signed, they would choose who they were going to push. So we were kind of in frozen animation with a record deal, making records with no action, you know. Okay. And and uh, we had a really amazing guy who, his name was Mark Wayhab and I met, well, he's the guy that gave us the deal. He's the head on and he unfortunately passed away very young. Oh. And, and left, and that upset the Apple car and we didn't have anyone looking after us in the label. So we just ended up being frozen really. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, oof. I mean, but yeah. you know, it's funny. That's not the first time I've heard of that, and it, it's a much different landscape nowadays. Oh yeah, but, but it's better in a way. It's better because it's best because people do more for themselves without that whole did the A and R man turn up at the gig business and you know they just get on and do their thing. You know, my kids are all musicians and they get on and do their things, and they're not as contrived as I was in terms of. Huh. They just love playing music, and I was driven to be successful, I guess, which in itself is a, a kind of, uh, I don't know, really. Driven to be successful playing music is not necessarily the right start, but driven to be a good musician and follow your inner voice is a much better place to stop. <laughs> Instead okay. of wanting to be like Mark Boland, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so I've pulled up the Violent Blue page here on Discogs and it's got a whole track list. I'll, I'll uh, throw it out to you. You tell me if this is accurate or not because it's got that picture you're telling me about here. Uh, it's kind of a cyan-colored photo of, of yeah. two yeah. of you. Yes, me and Neil. Neil, yes. yeah. And all right, so the tracklist is giving you up. Yes, that's it. That's I, it. I won't give in, losing you. Oh no, no I don't hear anymore. That's <laughs> the oh, I'm getting a cold sweat. You know. Oh, no. I'm getting a cold all right, sweat. so that is it. All right, yeah, so man, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Oh, hold on, wow. I, I lost track here. That's amazing. That's amazing. Eleven tracks. Oh. Wow, and there's, that's crazy. There's three different versions. They've got the, uh, let's see, the LP, two LP versions and a cassette, the Germany release and Brazilian releases. Wow. That's just, just, and, oof, I don't know what to think about that. Well, here, you want you wanted something, even, oh, wait, no. I was going to see if I can have, find one on the marketplace here, but I don't see one. It's not for sale. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. it I thought I was going to be able to buy one here. No, no don't do that. No, no, no. You, you be you, you don't want to poison yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it is very poppy. It does sound like it. It's from that the mid eighties. The one or oh, the yeah, two tracks yeah, I heard. Of course, of course. Of course but yeah. you did. You did get a, a gig with Ofrahaza around I that did. time. So how did you get that gig? Was that just a natural? That was uh, a session. You know, that was a, okay. a, what happened. Yeah, that. That was because that rec, that particular album, that track really did well, I think, and and she was quite something, you know, yeah. uh, as a breakthrough artist for that Middle Eastern thing, you know. Yeah, amazing yeah, voice. I, the producer, like many things, the producer had heard, heard of me and asked me in on the session. I mean, I, I, you know, it was one of those sessions where you got to understand, you know, when you do things like that, you kind of 
yeah, I didn't know what to think, but it went well. It went well. It was a good session, and that, that was a, one of those things that just popped out there and did, did good, you know. for it because it was I mean it no. was kind of poppy or it, but it, you know it wasn't exactly Middle Eastern sounding no 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 it was a real crossover dancey yeah the original the original version of that song was a, just a vocal I think oh really I think so but no I wasn't prepared I mean like most sessions you know you know I don't uh, I, I, even though I say that I don't I kind of uh, not that I'm in denial but I, I didn't see myself as a session player in the strict sense of the word so okay. most things that I do I try not to just turn up with a bag of ideas that I can use on it, on everybody's tunes as a bass right. player I like to try and you know respect it and be involved in it on a deeper level and, and I did with that but it does mean that you it's a little more nerve wracking and I was certainly it was with, a, funny enough, it was with a producer called Wally Brill, and he's now lives in San Francisco. He's an American guy, and okay. lives in San Francisco, and he had quite a lot to do with the explosion of um, uh, multimedia music with Apple and all those people out in San Francisco. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was the producer. So that's how I did that session. Oh, and that was, what, about 88, I think? It was right? early, uh, earlier than that. Oh, well, okay. no, it was released. It was released in ACA, but that session was a lot earlier than that. Oh, really? Of, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot earlier than that. That actual recording would have been done quite some time before then. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I know it was released then, but yeah, um, because you know, you know, the thing is, I, I was. Where you know, even though I was playing music, I, I, where I lived when I was born, I lived in some of the suburbs of Bristol. Okay. And most of my friends and or people I hung out with, and what I did in my spare time was not with musicians. So I all had this sort of thing that came out of nowhere. And even though I was playing music, the sessions I got and stuff were kind of contrary to, to my lifestyle, really, in a way. Even though I was playing my bass, and those sort of sessions came out of the blue. They weren't. It wasn't like I was out playing lots of pub and and club gigs and stuff like that. I was okay. just doing my own thing, really. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, yeah. so then in '90, you ended up uh, working with Robert Plant and ended up on his Manic Nirvana album. So, how did how did you meet Robert Plant? If if especially if you know you're just doing these sessions, but you're not really living the life of of, uh, of a touring musician or even maybe even a session no. musician at that point how did, how no, did the connection well at that point you know it, it, it actually stuff happened before the Manic Nirvana record what happened was I did the Now and Zen tour oh okay and that tour was in 1988 which is why I know I couldn't have done the Afro Haza because ah. I was touring and that was a very big tour yes and I, I actually auditioned for Robert's gig in 1987. Oh wow! Yeah, so I was would have been 24 or something. Like Man, jeez. Yeah, so so that came about because um, what happened was I'd had two years 
of not much work as a musician. I was still practicing my bass and, and I was skinned. I mean, I had, I was broke. Yeah. And I was living in this place in England called Kainsham. In fact, Bonzo Dog Doodah Band have a song called Kainsham. But oh. anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I was living in this flat in Kainsham and uh, my mum said to me, because I, I spent like a year and a half period just really hanging out and my mum said to me you've got to do something with music you've got to do you've got to make something happen you, you know you know that's so awesome said, yeah yeah it was a good thing to say so I got this the, the, at the time Margaret Thatcher was in government mm -hmm. and she had, she had this thing called the work enterprise scheme right okay now the work enterprise scheme is is it worked in two ways. It was a way of keeping the unemployment numbers down in England okay. and, and a way of helping people out. Now, I'm not saying I was a, a fan of Thatcher, right. but basically, if you go to the government and say, look, listen, I have this job. I'm a plumber or electrician or a mechanic, but I'm on the dole and I'm getting state to help me. Mm -hmm. They would give you the same money for a year, but you could earn on top of it and they'd make it official. Oh, wow. So I went to them and said, look, I'm a musician. Can I have a work enterprise scheme? Meaning I could still claim my unemployment benefit and go out and work as a musician. Oh, wow. So that's the, that's the first thing I did. And then what happened, weirdly, the producer that produced Violent Blue, well, actually before that, go skip back a little bit. Okay. The guy, when I was in recorded delivery, the guy that re released that record all that time back when I was 16 or something, he called me and said, hey, do you want to come up to London for an audition for a band? And I said, well, yeah, I will do. That would be cool. Mm -hmm. But I, I got nowhere to stay, and, uh, I, but I'll work it out. So I got on a coach and went up to London, and I thought, well, where can I stay? And then I remembered a friend of mine called Tim Palmer, and he's a very, very successful producer and mix engineer these days. He lives in Austin, actually. Oh, okay. And he said, oh, come and stay around my place. So I went and stayed at his place. He said, I'm working with Robert Plant. I went, oh, that's so cool. He yeah. said, yeah. You know, he's looking for a bass player. And I thought, well, anyway, <laughs> yeah. I went back home. And then he called me and said, no, here's a number. Call this number. And you might be able to get an audition. Now, at this point, honestly, I had, I was broke, you know. And, and, and so I had this number in my pocket and I didn't call it immediately. I sort of thought for a few days. So I went down to the payphone because there was no mobile phones, but right. I called oh, it. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, man. I, I went down and I called it and I got the audition, you know. So that's that. Wow. So then I went up and did the audition and I had to. Um, yeah, I went up and did the audition, which was a day's recording and a day rehearsals, and I didn't hear anything for four months, you know. And oh, then wow. they asked, then they asked me to go up. And I started rehearsing, and then I got on the Now and Zen tour with Robert. Wow! And that was a very big tour for him. And I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was out of the country then. But I was still on the work enterprise scheme money from the government. Oh, wow. <laughs> Touring the world on the work enterprise scheme. Yeah, man. I, was, I, I, I had to fly out to Morocco to do a video, and I still get my 50 quid a week doll money. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, that's awesome. Uh, it was weirdly, the sort of, like, you know, it's one of those really bad stories that you can imagine 
the government or somebody getting hold of to use as an example of how well it works for me. So I kept my head down about that. I oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so but that's how it happened, you know. So the, the audition, it was just you there yeah, the, there wasn't a whole like a it wasn't like a no. cattle call or anything no like, because, the, because the reason why that was the case is because the guy who recommended me you know I came highly recommended from him so that was it they just okay. tried me out and I got it you know now, when you ended up actually touring with, with Robert and all, did you have to any modify your style of playing at all to fit what Robert was wanted after doing Violent Blue and some more poppier yeah. stuff? Yes, because well, at that time Robert had a very eighty sound. Oh, yeah. but he wanted he wanted a fretless bass, you know. Oh, okay, yeah. And I'm not strictly. I'm a. I play double bass and 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 a fretted bass. I wasn't a fretless bass player, so I had to get hold of a fretless bass and blag that. Oh wow. That, Which is actually, I think, harder to play than an upright. I was going to ask: is is it different to play uh, the fretless than it yeah, is the upright? Because it's yeah, 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 it's harder, I think. You know, but I, I, I blagged it, and I got the cheapest bass known to mankind to do it on. I mean, I, <laughs> I literally, I seriously, I took, I had some little money. My mum gave me some money to, my mum and dad gave me this money to pay off an electricity bill, and I bought this bass called a Westone Thunder One A. And it's a, not an expensive bass, and I managed to put some decent pickups on it and get away with using that, you know. Oh my gosh, that's awesome! But I got, yeah, but there was no, you know, even once I'd done the audition and gone up and started rehearsing for the tour, nobody said I was in. Nobody said I'd got the gig. I mean, you know, it's, right? Oh wow, they let you sweat it out for a while. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, you know, those those environments are never very forgiving, really. Oh, I'm, I can imagine. So when you were doing, we were recording Manic Nirvana. Did you know that you were going to be a, a permanent part of the band at that point, or did you, did you no, have to I approach did. it as a session thing? Well, what happened then was I decided when they said, "Look, we're going to do a new album and we're going to play bass on it." I had to move to London, mm -hmm. uh, so I moved from Cainsham up to London, and um, that was it. I, I was. I knew that I was going to have to work on that record. I knew I had to make that jump, you know, yeah. to really throw, throw myself right in there because they weren't going to pay for hotels and all that stuff. I had to be around. So then I moved to London and concentrated on that. And, and I had a few other sessions come up while I was doing that. Oh, cool. Anything that, uh, that we recognize? Um, you know, I did some stuff for the pretenders, but that didn't get used. Still, that's um, awesome. Yeah, that was good. It was great work. I did a little thing uh, for an album called Pact, I think it was, with Chrissy Hine and Pretender. So there's some good musicians on that. I, I enjoyed doing that. But the other the other thing what happened, in the middle of doing Manic Nirvana, you know, what was very different was what, <laughs> what really changed the dynamic for everything. But I had to be initially quite kind of low key about it is I fell for his daughter you know yeah Carmen <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, so that, that changed the, that, that made life a lot more complex that and fortunately it was uh, mutual yeah yeah <laughs> it was mutual she was living below him at the time so I had to ride my I ride motorcycles so, so one day in the studio he said to me Hey, I saw your triumph parked out in the outside the house. What was it doing there? I was like, oh, you know. <laughs> it was tricky. It was tricky. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, so that so you guys had to kind of fly low for a little while then. 
Well, it was complex. Yeah. It was complex. You know, I mean, the, the, but the fact of the matter was, I wasn't thinking. I, I was, you know, it, it, it was uh, that was that's what was going on, and um, I just went with it. But I mean, it, it didn't make touring that particular album thereafter. It did make make things complex for me. Right. But I, I, I but I didn't, um, and obviously from my for common but and for robert of course yeah. <laughs> i mean really for robert yeah but nevertheless you know i had a very thick skin and and you know uh, i wasn't really careerist i mean of course my mum and dad said to me what are you doing you know yeah. you, are you crazy you know and i was like well have you seen her i mean yeah. No. <laughs> not a chance you know yeah but, um, and, you know like like you said at that point you know it was you're also you're young, you know. If you weren't looking you know, at his career, you just just do what you do, and and, yeah. and for me, you know, that's the way it went. And you know, Robert, uh, Robert, you know, even though it was difficult, you know, he he's uh, as a guy, he's he likes the he's a realist, and and he likes mm. the real grit, you know. So yeah. he's not going to suddenly start acting you know he likes the great he's and and so and we got on we we got on well me and robert but but that that was different you know so it did change i mean in a way you know if you wanted to talk realistically as a bass player it, i went from being me charlie jones the bass player to charlie jones the son-in-law in the band and that's that's a, a, a kind of strange i mean to be perfectly honest i didn't care less but right. in terms of perception that's a mixed bag, you know. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, you know that that's got to be tough, and if, especially if you know it's it's legitimate. You know, you're not just trying to date his daughter to stay in the band or anything. You know, if it, there's well, but it, you know, it's it's a it's a sure way of not staying in the band. Really. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So you know, so when when you guys approached recording Manic Nirvana, was there a specific effort to not? try to sound like John Paul Jones or Phil Scrag or Paul Martinez did he want to oh, do because no, that album was that. a little harder a little, little rockier than his other albums yeah. those previous bass players all you know were are amazing players but no I just did my thing and there was never any you know Robert would as a bass player my gig in that band he'd be much quicker to quote someone like Bob Mosley from Moby Grape or something oh, yeah. like that you know or some of those psychedelic bands of that period and no one ever asked me to play like JPJ or right. Phil Scraggs bass playing on, on Now and Zen was amazing I had to try and cover that fretless thing but not, I never did it as well as he did you know and, and Paul Martinez was just another period again you know a, a very different type of player to me so I did yeah. my own thing really you know I did my own thing and, and, and it was a matter of um, you know that band the, the way that music was made was quite competitive you know yeah so, so, so yeah so, so because everyone's involved with the writing so I just said to Robert, look, you know, I'm not really, I, I'm happy to contribute as a bass player and within that I'll be a writer, but 
but I'm not interested in haggling to get my ideas on the record. I'm your bass player and that's yeah. it, you know. But, he, you know, to be fair, that worked in my favor, but... Oh, I'm sure, yeah. But at the same time, he liked people to fight for their corner with what they their musical contribution as as writers you know oh, okay. he, loves, he loves all that stuff so it's it's always highly charged always. Oh. <laughs> okay yeah that's that's interesting to find out because i never know when it's, you got a guy like robert plant right he's he's had this amazing career with led zeppelin yeah. Then he has a solo career. You never know if, you know, and it's a successful solo career, but you never know if he is one of those guys that, okay, you guys work out your parts, I'll work out mine, or it's it's all no, me. It no, it doesn't work like that. Robert, Robert, somebody, as an artist, likes to have a say over everything, you know. Yeah. He, you know, he, he likes to, he likes to control, but at the same time, He's also very generous, you know, uh, generous creatively to let you do your thing. But but at the end of the day, he will have something to say about every aspect of the music. Yeah. Okay. So he's he's got an idea in mind, but he's open to hearing. Yeah. Everybody's contributions to it. Okay. Sure. Sure. Yeah. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. I remember the very first time I got a chance to see Robert Plant. Actually, the I think the only chance I ever got a ch- the only chance I had to see Robert Plant live was um, the Fate of Nations tour. And mm. I was in I lived in New Jersey, and I saw you guys come and and play at uh, theater in New York. I got, I can't remember the name of it at this point. Was it the Bowery? Maybe no. It was uh damn it. It's you know it's one of those. It's like really famous, and I, now for some reason I I can't. Think okay. of the, the, yeah, <laughs> that's cool. But anyway, Brother Kane opened, and uh, you guys, the the band on that album was was fantastic. But there's a lot of people in the recording, like mm. guys like Francis Dunnery, who you know mm. was on the in the touring band and and played on a couple tracks on the album. That album seemed to be influenced a lot by some of the sounds that were more popular in the early 90s like like grunge and harder rock was, mm. was that a conscious effort did you, or did you feel a conscious effort to make that album harder no I no I don't think so um, I think at the time you know I, 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 what you have to understand is you know just, just to skip back a little bit you know mm-hmm. when, when the Now and Zen record was done which I didn't play on that was a huge success yeah and you know we were playing three nights at uh, Meadowland sold out and two nights at Madison Square Garden it was huge but by the time we went on did Manic Nirvana that the world had changed grunge had happened the world had changed it was a different place yeah so by the time we did Face of Nations, you know, it was it, things were moving quite quickly, you know, and I think, um, you know, Robert was and the band were trying lots of different ideas to be relevant at that point. And of course, uh, musically to be relevant as a band working with Robert when you're young and doing that is, is a complicated business because the legacy of who he is looms bigger than all of that. Oh, yeah. So it's kind of it's kind of dre- window dressing around this voice, and and even though that's not yeah. to put it down, it's, it makes it harder to to creatively uh, creatively identifiably put something together that is 
really cohesive. So it's 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 got lots of different um, experimentations really on that record. Were you guys? In the band, were you listening to a lot of the, the what was being played? You know the, the well, the you know the stuff? process. Well, you know the the, the process is it's a very it was a very strange writing process because everybody would submit ideas, you know, yeah. into the pot, and then sometimes you get together and jam those ideas out, and, and it it's a kind of quite a competitive and kind of explosive way of making music and I wouldn't say uh, so I, I would say there were, it was a bunch of ideas coming from a lot of individuals trying to be formed into one cohesive sound and a relevant sound for the time yes exactly was this the time that, that in the live show Robert started playing some Led Zeppelin tracks was that, yeah, because I don't think he was playing him before. Well, we, then, all, right? we always we always touched on that. Always, uh, always touched on that. Yeah, you know because he, sometimes he would he would purposely. I mean, you know, he's very driven, Robert. And if he was going out and our say our shows, you know, we went from say playing arenas and then we were playing theater shows purposely fox theaters and things like that because he was trying to, a different angle on something and also it was because the sales would go up and down up and down because as an artist like i said before he's not really a careerist no. he's somebody that's constantly try he doesn't hang on to that led zeppelin legacy you gotta believe that he oh. really does not uh, yeah i it, in fact it seemed at the very in the beginning he was trying to distance himself from it yeah, yeah, in a way, but nevertheless, you know, on that tune on even now and then, heaven knows, Jimmy played on that. Yes. So, so, so he always, you know, there's always a nod, but he, he, you know, and as a band, the type of musicians he was using were people who weren't necessarily rock musicians, strictly speaking. Ah, okay, you know, okay. You know, they were much more, much more eclectic type musicians. You know. Ah, okay. So, all right. So you you brought up Jimmy Page. Yeah. After Fate of Nations, the No Quarter album happened, yeah. which was just to me. I was, at that time I was huge, a huge Led Zeppelin fan. Always have been. You know, ever since my mom introduced me to the band when I was a kid. When I heard that that was happening, that was amazing. The fact that these two guys are getting back together, and there's going to be, you know. I didn't. I didn't realize at the time it was going to be a, such a wild reworking of a bunch of the old tracks plus new music. Right. Did you know how long in advance did you know that something like this was going to happen? Because at this point, I think you were actually legitimately in laws with him. Yeah. Well, I mean, what happened was with that. I mean, it, what happened with that record was that at the time Michael Lee was drumming in the band, I was playing bass. And Robert decided he was going to do this thing with Jimmy. And Jimmy, you know, the Le the, the Led Zeppelin thing is a whole nother catalogue <laughs> of history and conversation. Right. So, so for whatever reason, they decided to do this record, which didn't involve John Paul Jones. Yeah. Which meant that Robert wanted me and Michael to be the rhythm section. Now, Jimmy obviously would have, now I, I can't speak for him, but I would imagine at that point he would have felt like, well, I'm walking into Robert's rhythm section and Robert, a band that already exists. Yeah. And, and, and you must understand that probably from his point of view, Led Zeppelin 
was very much his production, his band in a yeah. way with yeah. with Robert. But nevertheless, he is very fierce over his legacy with Led Zeppelin, Jimmy Pages. At least yeah. he appears to be, and quite rightly so. So, um, so me and me and Michael had to sort of re-audition with Jimmy. Oh wow! Uh, okay, yeah. And because it wasn't just Robert saying, I'll do it and we're going to use these musicians, Jimmy had to be on board. That know? makes sense. So we did that and he was happy with it. So that was the core band. And then putting the thing together, put it, you know, you, you go and stand putting that thing together. It's like, it's like no different than being in your first school band. I mean, it was chucked together, that thing, really. Wow. I mean, I mean, you know, we rehearsed in a pub above a pub in London. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. We, we rehearsed that above a pub in London. Conceptionally, I mean, obviously, creatively, it wasn't chucked together. There's right. a lot of care and thought has been put into that. But, but conceptually, it was just like, okay, we're going to do this. We'll get some Egyptian musicians. We'll have a... a we'll, <laughs> we'll just we'll get a, a few... Yeah, Western String Orchestra, and we'll do this thing. So it came about like that, and and you know they reworked the stuff. We had a guy doing orchestration called Ed Shermer, who went on to become very successful movie um, scoring for movies. But at oh, the time, okay, yeah, yeah, he 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 did the strings, and then we had an, a, a guy called Hossam Ramsey, who unfortunately passed away not long ago. Who was a very dear. We stayed good friends forever. He was. Great guy. He he put together the Egyptian ensemble, and that was how that put together. But but the thing is, we did that TV show unleaded. Yes. Yeah, by that time, that all came together. It was very. Um, there was a lot. Of, you know, it was a, a lot of very uh, specific creative thinking from Robert and Jimmy and everyone involved. I mean, you know, the creative thought behind how to present that music can be laid firmly at Robert and Jimmy's feet, really. Okay. But, but as musicians, we were given the freedom to work to interpret that. We did that TV show, and um, and then we got told that's also the record. I mean, I had no idea when we were doing it that was going to be an album. Oh, really? Yeah, wow. so when we did the TV show, I mean, I literally had this tiny little amp. I could barely hear what I was doing. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, we just... But that was the album, and, and um, it, was, it was interesting. I mean, you know, it was... For me, it was cool because touring was a large tour with lots of people. Yeah. And that was interesting and it meant that it was felt a little freer to a little more freedom involved in it. And um, okay. yeah, and it was exciting. Yeah, my wife was at that gig and she, she was pregnant with my daughter at the time when oh, we did that wow. show. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I remember when that thing aired. I, I sat there and, and I recorded it on my VCR. Yeah. And I just sat there glued to it the entire time. 
it was it it's was, a good show I had a do you know what man I got a, I had a suit made I had a suit it was a copy of a Brian Jones suit from, from the Stones made by a friend of mine in Los oh. Angeles a great tailor and I got that suit and I can't, I can't fit into it now you know? oh. <laughs> man I love that suit you know well, you know it's like you know I, I, so I kind of dug the way I looked in the video and, that, that, and I played alright so that was that was okay oh that's awesome I have to go back and look but, at that now but realistically, you know, in real terms, John Paul Jones should have done it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I know exactly what you're saying. And also, you know, I can't fit into what I was wearing when I was watching it. So that's, a, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> All right, so after that whole hurricane of an album came and went and, and, and the hype, how long after that were you told that that they were going to be doing the walking into clarksdale album how i mean how what was the time well, period? you know it kind of got more complicated again because we did that album and that was all great and then the idea was okay that's it now we've got the rhythm section robert and jimmy me and michael let's go and make an album write an album make it on so then yeah. i find myself in this situation of being part of a band really for a very short period a short period of time a two year period of being in a band with Robert, Jimmy, me and Michael jeez and and writing that record and that was you know a, a mixed blessing really yeah yeah in, in a way in a way because it was it was a very um, it was great making that record but it was no bowl of cherries really was it was it intimidating at all working with with the two of them no, in writing? I, I, no i never i i very rare no i never felt intimidated at any point working with either of them at any point from night working robert okay. when i first but 1988 so i never I, I i felt not intimidated by the situation i just felt you know Sometimes I just felt it could have been better. Okay. Uh, but then, who am I to judge? I mean, I'm I'm an amoeba. Really, I mean, I, I don't mean I don't mean that in a bad way. But then, I, you know, the thing about it is, you have to understand that when you're in a band and you, you go from start to finish in a band, and it's your band, and you can exercise your artistic and creative. Uh, freedoms that's fine that's fantastic mm. when you're in a band with people people like Robin Jimmy or anyone of that stature they are still your bosses you see right ultimately you are still being paid to do a job you know when I okay. saw Robert even though you, he's very he was very generous in generous as a human being and as a boss he was generous nevertheless it's not like I never thought, oh, I'm in Led Zeppelin, you know. Right. I always had this objectivity about what I was doing. And because I had this objectivity, I had to fight my corner, you know, very much so. Okay. To, to be able to contribute what I thought was right. Because, you know, at the end of the day, it is page and plant. You know, it's not page, plant, Jones and Lee. Right. Know? Yeah. And you know, and and that's actually for me much better. I, 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 if they said, "Oh, right, we're not going to call this patient part, we're going to call it something else," I mean, you know, so you know, I was aware of that. So being in that situation with with the the, the history of the band of the individuals are working for, especially also being in the situation where I was in Robert's original band as his bass player and become his son-in-law yeah. wasn't easy wasn't easy oh i can imagine 
Yes, exactly. So it got very intense, very intense. But I don't mind a fight, and I'm up for it. Any, <laughs> with anybody, just bring it on, you know. So, <laughs> so, it, 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 so that's the way it happened, you know. That's what happened, and that record had some great stuff on it. I mean, oh, I'm yeah. not saying, yeah, I'm not saying. And working with Steve Albini was fantastic. He is a, a Great guy, great guy. I wanted to ask you a little bit about that because I've heard from other people who've worked with him that he basically lets the artists just go. Like, like this is he records it, and that's the way you sound. You know, if yeah. there's not a whole lot that he does other than let the artists sound like themselves. Well, you know, just to do that in itself is an art form. You know, yeah. Now, I mean, he. he you know the way an what the way an artist let's say you let an artist do what he or she wants to do, uh, but you take care of how that sounds, the way that presented is presented. That's like the difference between saying, "Well, okay, you're you're an artist, you do your thing," but actually, I think I'm going to make this a watercolor, not not an oil painting. I mean, you know, or you know, the way something sounds in terms of the way it's recorded, the types of air that's moving or or the types of how it's engineered has a great impo- impact on how these songs are communicated okay and he, and he had a great deal to do with that and he was cool you know I mean he's oh, yeah. I, I, I liked him I liked his whole vibe were the songs on the album a uh, group effort because you did yeah. I know you you helped write uh, Please Read the Letter which eventually that's won right. a Grammy of the the songs on the album was it a, a total group effort or was it a everything, bit of everything was oh, everything awesome. was yeah because it was all everything was co-written by the four of us yeah oh wow yeah that's fantastic that was everything worked out ahead of time or did you guys jam stuff in the studio yeah we uh, basically we'd be in the studio and we would knock the ideas around and we'll, we'll come up with the top lines and and you know um, I mean, you know, Jimmy's Jimmy was more of a, a studio animal than Robert, you know, right, and, yeah. and and is uh, and certainly was under those circumstances. And uh, Robert's a lot more. Things have got to happen in the moment, you know. Bam, it's got to happen there and then, right. you know. So some things weren't prepared until we got in there, and then he come up with it, you know. Wow. And, yeah, and that's how I came up with that whole top line for Please Write a Letter. I mean, that was largely driven by Robert, that song. And, um, of course, the, 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 there's that track, Most High, and that also got a Grammy for Best Rock Performance or something, I think. I oh, think you're right, yeah. You might be right. So quite a lot came out of that record in a weird way. Yeah, I, I, but out of all of that, my favorite, out of all, all the songs on that album is Blue Train. That is my absolute favorite. Yeah, that's favorite. great. Yeah, great. The, your your base on that is is just oh, it's just it gives me you. chills.
thank you thank you that's kind of you to say but I mean you know as a bass bassist most of what I've done in my life as a uh, purely as a bass player is try and be the left hand of a piano I, I, I you know I, I try and be a musical bass player that frames and acts you know okay. not, not so, so so it's very hard you know in the you know if you if people were to look at famous bass players through time and you think of Mingus or you think of Jacko or you think of Bernard Edwards or you think of any of the great bass players in our time a lot of these soloist type bass players um, you know for all these players which are huge incredible and can do everything I've just said and more you know there's working players that are out there doing stuff that people feel rather than hear you know and yeah and, I agree. And I guess, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I agree. Guys like, like yourself and, and Simon Jones, you, just yeah. two of my favorite bassists of, of that era are guys that yeah. people don't really think about when they think of great no, no, bassists. No. But, but, you know, in a way, that's your job as a bass player. I mean, I, I'm, I'm quite, I mean, I, I'm not to say I'm not flash. I mean, I play a clear plastic bass and <laughs> I like the whole glam thing, you know. <laughs> I, and I like good suit. I like to. I like that I'm quite showy in some ways, but really as a player, I mean, I can cut that stuff. But I'm often doing stuff where people want me to do something that's fundamental, you know. Yeah. And that's primarily how I've kept working, I guess. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, I can see that. Well, now the the tour for the Walking into Clarksdale album that was mm. a lot different than the unleaded No Quarter stuff. That was a that was just a lot more raw. Yes, that was, and that's what I the the tour that I really liked. And, and you know, I I got to admit I've got some bootlegs of it, and it sounds really good. It sounds a lot more raw than the unleaded stuff. Was it? I, I imagine the touring on that was completely different from the unleaded stuff. Was it a lot different from touring with just Robert Plant as well? Well, you know, the thing about it is, it yes, it was. I mean, I mean, the principle of I find working in that universe, that universe, Robert and then Robert and Jimmy and where they come from. It comes from a different place. It comes from a place. See, back in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, maybe, bands, especially with jazz musicians, you know, it wasn't like everyone's on stage going, hey, you know, we're musically talking to each other and we're communicating and creating this whole picture of love together. It's not like that. It's sometimes it's a fight. Uh, I don't mean in a bad way, but it's a creative struggle okay. of walking the line of finding something that works or fails miserably. And that line, if you walk that line, it can be very exciting rather than playing safe all the time. So the specifically to answer your question, the class cell tool was a lot more of that going on, a lot more of creative improvisational tensions and finding, finding a, um, really what that thing was that we were doing is being Robert and Jimmy on stage with, with a different rhythm section. It wasn't, it wasn't something that was easy. It was something that was stressful, but also exciting, you know? Yeah. So that's why, so there's a, you know, there's a thing on Jules Holland where we do the wanton song. 
Oh, okay. Uh, and that's an amazing clip. That that is very much the band at its peak. Yeah. Kind of as a four piece fundamentally. Now, I, I have a question. I, I did mention that I have some boots of the tour, and I hate, I always kind of hate mentioning that to, to musicians, but <laughs> right. that's what the whole world is now. There's, there's oh. the bootleg, is there? I mean, uh, it's YouTube. The fact that there's a bootleg of the past is, is, is the flag of the future. That you're absolutely right, but I have one, it's, uh, it's from 1995. And it's Page and Plant playing a few tracks with some guests. Um, there's they do Bring It On Home, No Matter How You Treat Me, uh, and with Steven Tyler and Joe Perry, and then When the Levee Breaks and For What It's Worth with Neil Young. Were you a part of those recordings? The thing with Neil Young, I think, was the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I, I, that's the only time I can remember Neil Young being on stage, and I wasn't part of that. Okay. Because I've gotten, there's literally no credits or no reference on what I've got. So I've, I've figured since I had you on, I'd, I'd need to ask because it's about that. 1995 with, with Steve Perry. Yeah, we did that. Stephen Tyler was such a nice guy, you know. Wow, well, oh, that's awesome. Very, when I met him, he was the most, honestly, he had such a big heart, that guy. Oh, that's that's good because you never know. You hear so many you yeah, know, he, contrasting stories about yeah. these guys. He, he's he's uh, got a big heart and and what a, a talent! Oh my god, yeah. amazing! He oh, was a, yeah. he was he was guy. You know when I met him, he just made me feel so comfortable with myself and what I was doing. You know, awesome. great guy. Yeah. The last album you did with Robert was Dreamland. Is that right? Yeah. And and that's like a, a mix of covers and some original stuff, and then. After that album, you stopped working with Robert. So was that be, was it? You were just moving on to this different project, or was it a personal thing? Well, what happened was after that Clarksdale record, what actually happened was I left the band. Okay. After that album, I decided I had enough of doing Led Zeppelin stuff, and yeah. I decided to leave. And that wasn't. Uh, didn't really go down that well when I say didn't go down that well it, it, they could cope perfectly well without me but it was just a, um, a blip really a blip for them but at the same time ultimately when I did leave it meant that after that there was no more page and plant because Robert didn't work with Jimmy on page and plant that was it wow. and I'm not so what happened was I, I, I left and then Robert decided to have a break and he put a different band together, which I wasn't involved with, right. which he uh, called the Sons. Oh, I can't remember. 
it was, oh, was it? the Priory of Brian. Correct. Yeah. Priory, well done, man. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> and it was a great band. And you know, Robert just keeps moving. Man. Oh yeah. He just keeps moving. He doesn't stop. And he put that band together. Went out on the road. I wasn't involved in that. But then he came back and asked me, "Did I want to put a band together again?" So. I did, and that's when I helped put that band together with those musicians for, uh, for the Dreamland record, yeah. And there's some great stuff on that album. Yeah, it's a great album, yeah. And, it's then, a great album. and then he ended up working with Alison Krauss and won a Grammy for a song that you helped write with Page and Plant. That, yes. That had to be weird. Well, it was weird. And, you know, the fact of the matter was, in, in reality, at that point, you know when that happened, I was in such a strange space. My manager for me said, "Do you realise you just got a Grammy for <laughs> this song?" And now uh, you got to understand, when I was living in this flat. Everything I had that came through the door, I'd throw it through straight in the bin. Oh wow! So I had to go down outside and go through the bin bags and find the envelope which oh. had the Grammy certificate in it. You know? Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you don't really want to contact him and say, "Hey, can you send me another copy?" Because. Uh, yeah, it threw my no, I took out this brown envelope covered in tea stains. <laughs> yeah, it was surreal, but oh. it was cool. It was cool. I mean, you know, uh, yes, I, you know, that I, uh, yes, I did co-write that song, and yes, it got a Grammy. But you know, it was Robert's um, working on that Alice and Christ that got the Grammy. I mean, I know I co-wrote it, but that was a beautiful record he made, and. And, and, and that song yeah and please write a letter that version of it really did, it was incredible so yeah that's how that happened I did stand I'm back now during this whole time are you writing music for yourself or are you just yeah, yeah. oh no no I, I, I'm writing my I've always composed my own music as well but I joined Goldfrap after Dreamland I left that dream, I did the Dreamland album yeah, did the tour and immediately after that tour, I I started working with Goldfrapp because I did oh, the that session was immediately. Okay, yeah, so it was literally one tour into another. Yeah. Oh wow! How now? How was that's quite a shift from Page and Plant to Goldfrapp. Yeah, massive. That, <laughs> I don't know, massive. How did that happen? How did you did you did you know them for you know Goldfrapp? No, 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 no. I didn't really. I I did a session for them. I mean, the thing is, we have to understand with Goldfrapp that. They, Will and Allison, uh, are very. Their tastes, they're very unusual. They're, they're that band and yeah. conceptually, conceptually, they're like nothing else. And it was a big change. And I guess, yeah, I'm a. I was a rock bass player going into the world of. Well, at that time, they were very electronic, you know. Yeah. So, so I did a session and I played my track with Strict Machine. a very successful track for them so they asked me to do the tour which meant then leaving Robert's band which was you know um, a big change big change oh yeah, yeah. and there's a completely different style of music was that a hard transition for you to make to, to learn no, the entire the, 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 thing, the thing about it about it, what you have to understand is throughout this whole period of working with Robert and then 
page and plant and all that. I was doing other things as a, a writer and, uh, of music and uh, experimenting with music and uh, and um, of course touring and playing with about that was a huge change because the, I mean you know on the most fundamental le- level if you want to talk in terms of nuts and bolts you know I was going from four seasons hotels to sharing rooms and being on a tour bus you yeah know? I mean, because the band were up and coming at that point. And I, yeah. I, 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 that's what appealed to me. I, I heard this band, I thought this is really creatively interesting and different and trying and searching for something artistically more stimulating for me at that point. And I thought, it, I knew it was going to go on an interesting journey and that was more interesting for me. And also, of course, what you've got to understand is that after working in the world of Led Zeppelin indirectly and with Robert as a solo artist and Robert and Jimmy as a duo, this was purely, in terms of being a bass player working for someone else, there was no difference. Because even though I was working with Robert and Jimmy and I was co-writing on that record, I was still fundamentally working for them, really, you know. Yeah. And, and so uh, the same with Goldfrapp. So that was the same thread, but musically and creatively entirely different, an entirely different type of audience as well. I mean... Oh, Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't mind. I liked, I liked the fact it was such a big change, and also it was liberating, liberating to be around something where everything was so fluid and liquid and interesting and creatively so interesting. Of course, you got to understand that golf rap. They can turn on a sixpence. You could do an album looking like something out of T Rex, and the next time you're stood there in a black suit playing double bass. You know. Oh wow. Yeah. They change it up constantly. They constantly change it up. It's 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 challenging in that respect, you know. That's amazing. Now, are you doing the uh, the programmed bass parts as well? Yeah. Well, I had to seriously get into having a pedal board and simulating kind of uh, synth sounds on bass. So it, it was a big pedal board gig. That it's been a big pedal board gig, you know. But Robert and Jimmy, man, you don't turn on a huge pedal board. You just plug your bass in and go. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. not there to solo. No. But no. you put out a solo album a few years ago called Love Form. Yes. How long did that take to happen? Were you writing for that for a long time? Yes, I was, on and off. But, you know, when that record came out, it was one of those things which got very well... Well, you know, I mean, uh, in broadsheets and and back in the day when people bought music magazines, which there are very few of now. Yeah. You know, like Q gave it four stars. I, I I did well with that, but it sold nothing. You know, because it was, it was a, a kind of dense, kind of instrumental. But it was like I tell you what, it was like Derek Smalls. Was, it was like Derek Smalls for Spinal Tap doing his Jazz Odyssey. Jazz Odyssey. Oh my yeah, gosh! That's... I was truly Derek Smalls. But yeah, so so that's uh, that's what that is awesome. I I love yeah, the yeah. album. I and I, I never it's thought like, of it like a, as a Spinal Tap type of album. <laughs> <laughs> Everything Spinal Tap. You know. uh, yes, I'm yes, learning that. I, I spent a lot of time writing it, and yeah, over that period of time, I, I was absolutely writing love it. Stuff. Thank you. I love the, like the beginning of, of the song "Reconstruction." That yeah. that's the that's the shit I love.
just a it sounds like there's looks like a ton of feedback and yeah. so many like squeaks and squonks all but yeah. there, you said there's no electronics on that I mean, that's all well what i mean by that what i mean by that is you know that particular record i created those sounds with distortions and right, right. Plate, plate reverbs and fender roads and so there is electronics but there's no it's, it's all freely played right there's, like, not, there's no samples or anything no samples and and it's it's uh, my studio i've got i run uh, which i'm currently sat in i mean all my for that particular record i mostly used a lot of it's to tape and a lot of it's um f- okay. played free form you know okay but it is it is compositional i mean most of it is written on the piano so oh wow yeah that's really awesome as i was listening to it the, i was listening to a uh, uh, death hand and yeah. the first thing that came to my mind was that it, it's the beginning of that song sounds like if you ever watched the George C. Scott version of A Christmas Carol, The Ghost yeah. of Christmas Yet to Come, that, yeah, 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 that's, yeah. that's what that reminds it's me creaky. of. It's a very creaky record. I mean, oh. I mean, you know, that Death Hand is very dusty and creaky. I mean, I've got to say that that particular record, I'm currently working on new stuff now. Oh, but, great. But it's very different. To, I'm doing something entirely different. Uh, I mean, it's come. It's from the same gene pool in terms of harmonically speaking, but okay. text, texturally speaking, I'm going making a much more plastic sounding record at the moment. Oh wow! Record, yeah, uh, but that record is fantastic. It, it, it is. Um, it's a beard scratcher, you know, and and I decided after making it, even though I love it, and I felt very proud of that record. It. You know, it's one of those records people say, oh, it'll be a great soundtrack. And I do understand that. I do, because yeah. it's filmic. But I, it is. A, but this new record I'm making is a soundtrack. That's a soundtrack you can imagine for some of it for a sort of art film. But the music I'm making now is another soundtrack, but it's much more like a Tarantino soundtrack with a collection of songs. Oh, cool. So, so in that respect, I'm trying to make something different because... That record is it has a density to it. The, the, the Love Form record has a density to it, and a just a little. T- for me, I've moved moved away slightly from that now. I don't know. It was, okay. a, it was a period of, that I wrote that music that I was searching harmonically for something different, and I've scratched that itch. I want to try something different now. <laughs> oh, well, that makes sense. Are you doing a lot of producing still? In uh, two thousand seven, you produced the uh, Manta Ray album by Susie Sue. Yeah. I did, yeah. Are you, you doing a, anything no, much on that end? Not really. Not really. Bits and pieces. No, okay. no, nothing. I mean, producing is a strange thing because, I mean, it, you know, if I pulled an apple out of my pocket, I've just produced an apple. I mean, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Production, production is a strange word because I'm producing stuff all the time, but actually, strictly speaking, as a producer, taking an artist and putting it together and producing them a record that's not something I've done much I've done some stuff since Susie Sue but nothing as significant as the Susie Sue record that was that was a full on literally top line vocal where I had to write music around it and produce music yeah oh wow day to day day in day out on drum drone to and fro and so it goes hum drum drone zone buzz buzzing 
I've only got a couple more questions. I know I've kept you a while, but... Uh, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. Do you have a favorite tour that you... You played with a lot of different musicians through the the Violent Blue, through Robert Plant to Plant and Page. Was there a favorite group of, of musicians that you ended up working with? I loved... I loved touring... You? Well, you know, I, I love working with Alison Goldfrapp. Yeah. Very much so. But... I love, um, I've done three tours with David Rhodes, the guitarist David Rhodes. Okay. And I've played on two of his albums. And uh, he, David Rhodes is is an incredible musician and he works with Peter Gabriel amongst many other things. That's him. Okay. So I've toured with him, and that was fantastic. I love doing those tours very much. Okay. That and was just like me, him, and a drummer in a van, either Jed or Rob Bryan, <laughs> in a van driving across Europe playing club gigs, and that was amazing. Oh, Exhausting. Man. Oh, man, it's going to be awesome. Do you collect much gear? And you had your, your, your acrylic bass, you had your Geisha Girl, uh, yeah. but uh, do you collect a lot of gear? bases or gear oh man i got my studio is i mean yes it's a short answer to that. I, mean, <laughs> I got i mean really i got i mean just standing here looking up and there's 14 bases hanging on the wall oh wow and uh, my studio i mean i've got some beautiful gear i've got i've got one inch four track a j37 like the beatles machine in here oh wow I've got the quarter inch C thirty seven machine. I've got Jeez. I've got lots of uh, yes, I do. I've got lots of <laughs> lots of gear. I mean, most, funny enough, most of my recording I do, I don't I do either onto a machine called Radar, okay. which is the early digital technology which I love, or onto tape. I don't really do much computerized recording as oh, such. Wow. So I have got lots. I've just recently got very into buying early 80s early digital gear this is what I'm using on my sounds at the moment that's like very interesting 12, 12 and 8 bit stuff yeah. wow that is, is the reason why you, you like that is it just a warmer sound than the what? new digital I, well you know what it is I like combining things you know so hmm. if you had the sound of the 50s record with a plate reverb and and the sound of rooms I also like to offset you know offset that with digital distortion so it's a bit like saying it's to make a record for, to, to use an example if I was going to make a piece of music let's just say you were going to build an original to, to, to every detail an original Georgian house in England say you okay. get the right stone and you get the right wood you get the right architecture you do everything to the last detail to be like an original old house but then for some reason you tack a plastic 
conservatory on the side. <laughs> and then in your art gallery, you walk in and you may have a pre-Raphaelite, but the next day you'll have that picture of that kid with the tear coming out of his eye from the 70s. Oh, yeah. You, you know, yeah, I combine. That's what I'm doing. I'm combining these things. You know, that's what I love doing. I love combining combining awesome. uh, stuff, yeah. Oh, so with my, awesome. with my gear, that's what I do with my gear. Do you have a time frame for your new music to be released or... Uh, do you know what? <laughs> I wish I had a time frame. But I, I, it's not like I have a captive audience. You know? <laughs> it's like, no, really. It's like if I said to you, yeah, man, it's got to be released by o October because, I mean, no one's waiting for it. So I got my. I have to release it. I have to give myself a deadline. Otherwise, I just keep writing and writing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, but I, I, I want to release something... I would like to have released something before this Christmas, but certainly early of next year I will do. I mean, okay. the touring, because all the touring was blown out this year. Yeah. Yeah. I'm meant to be touring with them next year, but I, I will carry on releasing my own stuff. I've just done some interesting videos, so... I'm the captive audience for you. I absolutely love <laughs> the stuff you did with Robert. The love form is fantastic. I... I can just sit down and, and listen to that album. That's just, it's one of those. Well, I, I really, I, I really hope I don't burst your bubble with this new stuff. Because <laughs> you're going to go, what the, like, you go, really? <laughs> the, the, you know, really? <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. You must talk, you know, or you, <laughs> you must let me know what you think. I will absolutely. When, when I get a chance to hear it, I will absolutely let you know. I'm going to think I'm anxious to hear some of it. Yeah. Well, Charlie, thank you so much for spending the evening. I know it's getting late by you, and I really do thank you oh, for fine, spending some time. The thing is, I have three children, you know, and throughout this thing, from the beginning of playing bass and having my children, that's the thing, truthfully, throughout it, that's tied me in with keeping my head straight with my wife and my children that, that's really meant the most to me you know that's wonderful and that relationship with them and what that brings to my music it seriously has been been the um the most important thing above all you know it's great having all this gear and talking about touring and everything but at the end of the day it's a small thing compared to when i get back and i'm with them you know i i know exactly what you're saying i've got three of my own and they're all teenagers well, you know the deal yep. exactly yep. you know the deal and, and, and right now my interest is in how well they're doing uh, it's almost yeah. embarrassing to talk about what I do because they're the people that are carrying the torch now, you know? Yeah, no, I, I I completely get it. I mean, I'm in my, uh, at this point, late 40s, and like, so I know exactly what you're talking about. All right, so I, should, you know, I didn't get a chance to talk about that, but there you go. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Joe. This has been a blast. All right, man. If you ever get a chance to, to come over to the U.S., I've, I want to... I love it there, man. I want to... I wanna, you know, I love... I love it in the state. I cannot tell you I love it. I mean, I'm, man, you know, I, I, I love it there. I want to come back and tour. I love touring America and I, I love the country too. Oh, awesome. Well, very much so. I live just outside of Washington, D.C., a little, little over an hour west of D.C. So if you, if you ever come to that area, I'm, I'm there. You just let me know and I'll, I'll, I'll okay. Uh, and you we'll made that happen. All right, man. Definitely. Definitely.
uh, if you ever feel like coming back on, I do other episodes where I'll have guests that I've had previously on, but we talk about other stuff. Um, That's cool. Like I had a guest on, we talked about his music, and a couple weeks later he came on, and we did an, an hour and a half where we just talked about David Lee Roth era Van Halen. So, <laughs> so amazing. If you ever want to, yeah, if you ever want to just chat about music or anything, and uh, let me know. We will. I can uh, maybe. We can either just do it the two of us, or I, I can get a couple other guests on, and we can just do a little, like a panel discussion, a roundtable discussion about you know the best hair oh, metal bands of the eighties. Oh yeah, man. I'll, I'll just I'll just on that note, let me just quickly tell you something. When I was doing the the early Robert Plant um, Now and Zen tour, my one regret what's that that I didn't do. Which I'd have loved to have done, just because it's so perverse. <laughs> I got asked to do a month's touring with Cinderella, and I didn't do it. Oh wow! Yeah, man. Oh, Can you imagine that? I that's... could have looked back and been like at the height of the hair metal thing, <laughs> that's... and be touring. That would have been great, but I didn't do it because I was too, too proud or weird about it i don't know i should have yeah. done it oh man i saw them they it, it, this this is going to tie everything together because i saw them live it was a it was a three band bill it was extreme the middle band was cinderella and david lee roth or, oh. uh, finish that is yeah extreme cinderella and david lee roth oh man i i it's a hell exactly. of a show i should have done it I, you know because i would have rather i would have rather have looked back and done a tour with a band like cinderella than say play bass for i don't know something somebody taken more seriously like bon jovi or something i don't know yeah, yeah. Because, because, because because you know what i mean because bon jovi no disrespect to them or anybody who likes bon jovi they really think they're the, the, the business oh yeah but cinderella but Cinderella, that's really the business. Because yeah. as you look back, you go, shit, those guys did that thing with the grand piano on top of the mountain. Yeah. I could have done that, and I didn't do it, you know? Oh, man. Oh, uh, yeah, I can understand that being a regret. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, man. Right, man. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 